0: So we're on our way to this meeting and I was dead tired. I'd slept very poorly the night before, just kind of prepping whatever I could and just generally was working late anyway and taking the train up to New York. And this is the sort of infamous juice cart moment where this is the first time that I'm gonna pitch someone. Like I kind of pitched Sam, but not intentionally. You know, he was a a buddy of mine. It was like an informal conversation, but this is the first time that there was an opportunity to show what this technology does.
1: I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. So it was April 24th, 2019. Josh was celebrating his 30th birthday. It was a surprise birthday that his friends and family had put on for him in Philadelphia. And he had started to come to terms that he had done everything he could, everything under his control, within his reach, everything that he could do to make this frontier biometric come to life. He'd been working diligently at it, trying to build a physician network trying to connect with people in the ecosystem and it just wasn't coming together and so a couple days after his birthday he ended up getting a call from Sam Sam Corco, CEO and co-founder of levels and Sam was asking for some advice for one of his friends and through their conversation one thing led to another It had been months many months I mean it was August of 2018 when they first connected and chatted about Frontier Biometric back in New Mexico on a serendipitous detour that Josh had taken on a road trip when he was heading to Philly. So months had gone by. It's almost May of 2019 and Sam calls out of the blue and they started talking about this Frontier Biometric. Sam was curious to learn how it was going, hear more about it, even though that wasn't the purpose of the call. And after digging deeper into the conversation, both Josh and Sam agreed that it was probably best to meet up in New York, to dig in further, to learn more about what this is, what it was, what it could be. And Josh was days away from giving up. He'd come to terms with this. And from the serendipitous conversation, he ended up going out to New York, and he and Sam started working on it pretty diligently. One thing led to another. And within a month, Frontier Biometric had gone from being folded to A company called Levels. So, this is what we know. We know that you took a detour. You were on your way to Philly to go meet Kate, and you took a detour. You met Sam the course of things completely changed because you're at this point where you're basically about to go back to doing something else. Like it was just it was Sisyphean in every endeavor and you're like I can't make this thing work. And then you connected with Sam and you said that was where things completely changed.
0: Yeah. So I was back in Philly at the time. I had been working on the frontier biometric concept for about I don't know, at least In completion from the beginning, it was a year and a half, but it was Frontier Biometric and it was like full-time focus for nine months, say, nine months to a year. And I had been working actually with a good friend and mentor and former boss of mine, actually, John Adam. I got to give him a shout out because he's one of those people from SpaceX who was like formative in the way that I think about thinking and the way that I approach problem solving. And he was very... Intrigued by the idea initially, and was like a major part of like just forming my thoughts and being a sounding board and you know i tried to <laughs> tried to get him actually to be part of this and initially he was interested, but life took him in a different direction you know he had he had other responsibilities he had to focus on, but that process of like working with him and getting his insights was so valuable and then, when he moved on, I was back in like the solo mode, and that's kind of where that low point came in it was. It was just before my 30th birthday. I was just like, man, this has failed. I got to go back to engineering. I'm out here on the East Coast. You know, I, I was browsing job boards, basically, and preparing to get my resume back out there. And remote work, obviously, especially for a hardware engineers, it's not promising. We'll put it that way. So it, it was feeling bleak. And I was still like certainly pushing every single day on on this concept because it's still what I wanted. But I was coming to terms. I was kind of like mentally preparing for just letting this go and and moving on and getting back into engineering. And then yeah, so Sam he reached out about a friend of his. (laughs) It's just a funny connection. Like a friend of his was interested in learning more about homeschooling and like how homeschooling works and meeting people who were homeschooled. And Sam thought of me and connected us. And then, you know, he wanted to catch up. And so we like, you know, we just scheduled a call and I gave him the rundown and basically just told him what I was working on and the impact that it had on my life. And I kind of heard Sam's tone change in real time. It went from like a, Hey man, how's it going? Type update conversation to, huh? That's really interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And he got like very,
1: yeah,
0: you know how it goes. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the tone shifted very, very quickly. I mean, this was like, it was like a half hour long conversation, I think, but the first 10 minutes were pleasantries and the middle 10 minutes was me talking about my experience. And the last 10 minutes was, when do you want to come to New York and talk about this more deeply? This is really interesting. And, and I was like, oh, huh. You know, I knew that I had run into Sam over the summer. And I knew that he was interested in a number of potential opportunities in the future. and was like just kind of keeping his radar on for what to do next. But I had kind of given him a little bit of a rundown. Over the summer at that meeting, and I think I had probably honed my pitch by the time we talked on the phone because it was a very different resonance. And I was like, "Oh, that's a cool response." So we followed up like immediately. He said, "Hey, come up to New York. It sounds like you need to raise some money. Sounds like you need to kind of get some fuel on this fire. Let me see what I can do to help out." And just. Instantly started in Sam fashion making connections via email within minutes. And I'm talking about like my inbox was kind of blowing up with Sam Corco's like follow ups. And my plan had been to have the business plan complete, have all of the pieces in place such that I knew that general wellness, continuous glucose monitoring was going to be available to the potential customers of this business, meaning. There were, was a physician network who had kind of signed on and was interested in taking prescription consultations to get these CGMs to increase accessibility. And that was going to be kind of step one. And then you can get CGMs out there. And then step two would be start building the software framework. And I had not been able to achieve step one. It was dead ends left and right. And so that's kind of what I was facing. And I hadn't wanted to raise money until I knew that there was viability. So
1: And, and like you're bootstrapping at this point.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I'm, and that's another angle here is that although I, my expenses were fairly low, it was still a situation where I had been without a salary because I'd been working on the SWAT truck system the year prior without a salary. I, I was working towards royalties on sales for that. I um, mean, actually invested in that. It was going on two and a half years without <laughs> a monthly income. And I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. You know, it was, it was definitely a situation where had I not had savings, obviously I wouldn't have done it in the first place, but it was like, okay, this is kind of approaching worst case scenario. <laughs> Kate, Kate,
1: Kate's like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, she's always just like, nah, eh, he'll figure it out type of mode. So I, I there was not added stress from her, but it was added stress from me about her type of thing. You know, it's like, I don't want to fail at this and be like, you know, reliant on somebody else. I just have this independent mindset. So that was definitely background pressure. So, yeah, I hadn't wanted to raise money until I knew there was viability. And so Sam, that was instantly where he was pushing me. He's like, "You got to raise money." You know, I think that he intuited it. the struggle was due to a lack of resources. He picked up on the concept being strong right away. And so anyway, he wanted to like figure out the complete picture and connect me with potential, you know, early angel type friends of his. So, yeah, we scheduled a meeting in New York. I think It was about two weeks after we had talked on the phone, I put some time into a one pager and just like formulating my thoughts or summarizing my thoughts rather still didn't have like a real concise elevator pitch, but I was ready, you know, I was ready to just go all in and see what happened. Yeah. So I went up to New York and (laughs) Sam and I kind of grabbed a WeWork office and I debriefed him entirely, showed him the CGM. We went through the one pager and he was just like, he was already very interested, but it continued to intensify in real time. And so he started to like, we were doing forward progress work in the, we a few hours before the first kind of meeting that he had set up. And that was really exciting because it was great to have someone just like dive in and grasp it and be pushing for probing the boundaries, like asking the questions that I knew the answers to, but no one else had dove as deep with me before. Do you know what I mean? So it was like the first real engaged session where someone was like, I get it and I need to know more. And I was able to like provide that information and just like really paint the picture. It was a really engaging conversation with Sam immediately.
1: What was the gap between like you guys hooked up in New Mexico, but it was like this brief parking lot. We'll call it the parking lot conversation because that's (laughs) where you're sleeping.
0: (laughs) I was actually sleeping along the like in a parking lot, but next to the Rio Grande River. (laughs) It was very beautiful, but also a trailer park.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So good. So you talked to him there and it was this like in passing conversation where you didn't really have the chance to like go deep on it. And then if it weren't for this call about, hey, I've got a friend who's interested in Mm -hmm. like learning more about your schooling, who knows where it would have gone. But what was like the gap between that time? So
0: it was... August, that we linked up over the summer. And then he called in the first week of May. So I had just had my 30th birthday, end of April. And then it was like, all right, back to reality. And then it was that first week. And then we had a follow up in New York. You know, I I went up to New York to meet up with them two weeks later. So this was like mid May at this point. So you're talking quite a bit.
1: You're talking, yeah, long time. Like I picked six months. Yeah, that's wild. I pictured that this thing happened where you were going back to Philly, you made this detour, and then it was like, oh, hey, let's catch up again. And it was two weeks or a month or it was something. Yeah. It was like a long period of time where like, you were still working on it and sort of hitting the same things over and over that you couldn't get to that step one, as you called it, to just get that traction and viability.
0: Right. When I ran into him in August, it was an idea. It was something that I had learned a ton about. Personally, I had dove into the research. I felt strongly about this being having some potential, but I knew nothing about the regulatory environment or the legal implications or what a business model might look like. And by the time we spoke again in May, I had spent that six months essentially just immersed. I had written a white paper, and I actually think it's fairly well researched and written in the sense that it's probably the defining resource if you want to understand the implications of using continuous glucose monitors for the general population, you know, if you are in the medical industry and you want to know, like, what are the regulations involved? And so I had fully researched everything from the state medical board all the way to FDA regulations and pharmacy and durable medical equipment rules. And now I understood the web of complications and what it would take to go live. And then I had used that source material to engage with physician networks to talk about this as a potential wellness product. And I had kind of run into dead ends left and right, but that was about the timeframe. So it took me, yeah, a good solid six months to go from really excited and enthusiastic about my own experiences with CGM and the technology and the physiologic benefits of metabolic fitness, and then kind of pairing that with the real practical implications of, of trying to build a business model on it. That was kind of like how the full year plus of background research came together. It was like, first get excited about and learn about all the potential ways that metabolic fitness matters and then figure out how to build that business. So yeah, a lot of time between first conversation and follow-up, which is good because had Sam called me two weeks later, you know, it would have been too early, I think. I think the timing Mm -hmm. was truly right where I I had the answers to the questions that were inevitable.
1: And it's hard too, because like the counterintuitive thing is you're doing the necessary homework for something that's really technical. Like there's this balance between being really scrappy and trying to get one paying customer in one day to pay you $1. Like that's sort of the rule of thumb. Is mm-hmm. just like get somebody as quick as possible, hand over some money for what you're doing, no matter what it looks like, and then refine it from there. But when you're talking about technical things, you need a little bit more of a foundation to make it a reality. And so it's this balance between like, Getting traction, getting a customer, and having done the homework to be able to actually do the thing.
0: Yeah. And I think just the uniqueness of the space, you know, the fact that these are class two, at the time they were class three regulated medical devices with prescription requirements, you know, the most insane onerous classification in the United States for a medical device. And so that was a really significant obstacle, I think, to being able to launch a scrappy concept. You know, it was like, I had trouble for six plus months, just trying to get a CGM for myself. And now trying to scale that while scaling that above board and not, you know, frankly, bending the rules in a way that they shouldn't be bent was what I was focusing on is I wanted to do this the right way.
1: So digress for a second, like class three, class one, two, three medical devices, according to the FDA, class one is the most basic. So like Compression socks are technically a class one medical device. Mm-hmm. Class two is y- usually something that's non invasive but more technical. And then class three is like an invasive device, something that is going in your body. And these are like devices that usually you'll find them in hospitals. But it's wild to think that a CGM, I mean, sure, it does penetrate the skin on the surface level, but it's not invasive in the same way that. Like large, large medical equipment is, and so now that's been relegated to, I guess, class two, right?
0: Yeah. So you know, when when I first used a CGM, it was 2017, and the devices, like the one I used, was a Freestyle Libre 10 day. So the 14 day didn't exist yet, and it communicated only with a reader device. You know, kind of like a little monochromatic display, like it looked like a glucometer. You know, a finger stick reader. But that's what you use to wave over the Libre sensor to measure it. And it it didn't communicate with a smartphone. And it was a very, very clunky process. But again, the data was so powerful. I was just obsessed. And that device was a class three. And then in 2018, the Dexcom G6 was approved as the first ICGM, which is like this standard for continuous glucose monitors that could be used for potential closed loop insulin pump systems. It's kind of like the gold standard. And that came with a class two approval. So class two opens up a ton of different opportunity for innovation. So basically it's the regulator saying, this device, you know, it has its risks. It's a prescription product, but we are opening up less onerous regulatory pathways for future devices that want to do the same thing. Like we've explored this to our satisfaction and believe that, that it poses low enough risk that we can expand this space further so it was a really big moment for cgm in 2018 and that has since been followed by well a lot of applications a few approvals for additional class 2 devices so yeah when i was starting it was still class 3 still super onerous and it was quite frustrating for me because i had this like scrappy concept in my mind it's like i you know just want to test this idea and see if it has legs and yet you're dealing with most heavily regulated classification of medical device. How do you just prototype that? You kind of need the business model in order to try it. And that's what was so, so frustrating. And it felt like I built a, a website front end or on Shopify and uh, was like kind of building a storefront and a way to like get access and order and request a prescription, and all this stuff. And then I needed to plug in some sort of prescription process that would get this across the finish line. You know, I was trying to build a proof of concept to the degree that I could show it to someone who was in you know, a physician network or had at least context for what I was trying to do. You know, I wanted to, to get a concept that far so that someone could understand, okay, I, I can see how this would potentially fuel a business model, but I couldn't go so far as getting CGMs to people and having them try them because that required, again, prescriptions, a method of distribution. It was a very frustrating, <laughs> frankly, a couple months or I guess close to a year in that I wanted to move faster than I could. And I was bootstrapping and I was on my own. And anyway, it all came to a head at that weekend when I was up in New York and talking to Sam and that's where, yeah.
1: So you guys hook up here in WeWork and he's set up a bunch of meetings. Like you went there, I'm guessing to jam on things with him and talk more about vision, but it sounds like he also had set up some meetings to meet with some different angels. And so what happened there?
0: So, I was under the impression that this was going to just be kind of jam sessions. And I think, and I still haven't confirmed this with Sam, but my understanding is that he set it up as pitches. So he had a couple buddies, one of which is Moshe. He's an awesome <laughs> supporter of ours and generally all around great guy. I think he was at US Investments at the time and Moshe and a few others on their team, they kind of ran an incubator and generally were doing a number of investment vehicles. And Anyway, Sam had set up just a conversation as far as he framed it to me. And so we're on our way to this meeting and um, I was dead tired. I mean, I had slept very poorly the night before, just kind of prepping whatever I could and just generally was working late anyway and taking the train up to New York. And this is the sort of infamous juice cart moment where this is the first time that I'm going to pitch someone like I kind of pitched Sam, but not intentionally, you know, he was a a buddy of mine. It was like an informal conversation, but this is the first time that there was an opportunity to show what this technology does. And so we're walking into an office building and right out front is this organic juice cart. And on the side is the whole menu. And so I go up there and you know, a drink stands out. It just says health drink. It's got apple, carrot, celery, that's it. So I ordered a 16 ounce health drink. And I watched the lady prepare it right there. And, you know, I paid close attention to the ingredients. It was just literally that two vegetables and a fruit, no additives. And I go into this meeting and, you know, Sam starts introducing me as very casual Moshe, meet Dan, meet a couple others. And then we jump into it and I'm sipping on this juice drink. And I kind of frame myself as, yeah, you know, I'm a CrossFit trainer. I'm an engineer, this and that. And they're like, oh yeah, CrossFit guy. Look at him drinking his juice. You know, it's very casual. It's kind of funny. Just, you know. The assumption was that I'm doing some super healthy thing. I'm drinking press juice. And so I go through the whole concept, start to finish in this first pitch and and just describe what the idea is and show them the CGM I'm wearing. And then I finished my drink towards the end and they're engaged. You know, they're curious about it. This guy's like wearing this weird device. He certainly seems to understand what it does. He seems to believe that it has changed his own life. Interesting. They're asking questions about the way that I use it in my life. And then it was like the big reveal where I showed them my blood sugar in that moment. And it was about 30 minutes after I'd finished the drink. And I actually wasn't quite sure what would have happened. I don't drink breast juice, so I didn't know if it would be a big hit or not. And my blood sugar was like 217 and climbing. (laughs) And I scan it. And I had already kind of talked about ranges, what's normal, what's what a postprandial peak should look like. You know, you should stay below 140 if your body is processing the meal you've consumed effectively. And so I showed this to them and I, in my mind, everyone's like jaw hit the ground and I I don't know how hard it hit in the moment, but I'd have to ask Sam, but it definitely, the point was made. People instantly were like, you know, I remember one of the guys was like, I need this and my wife needs this and I want my kids to have this all now. And it definitely resonated. And so, you know, we we were just milling around the office after the meeting and talking about potential other connections, who I should meet, who we should talk to the potential customer profiles that would be interested in this, you know, basically painting the picture beyond, you know, the Josh Clemente's of the world who are the worried well, maybe some would think, but who else? Like who else is on the list? And so we were instantly diving into the TAM, you know, the market that's out there. And I had a lot of background on this. I had already thought deeply about it. So I was able to kind of parry with them. And it was a really engaging, exciting, interesting meeting from the, the first moment. And We left that meeting and Sam said, you got to write up the customer profiles, like write all of those down, just put, how would you sell this to each of those people and do that right away. And so we had one other meeting that afternoon with another investor, Sal from Trust Ventures, and that also went super well. And I remember Sal saying, you know, we we were kind of eating some food. I ordered it without rice because I had already smashed my system (laughs) with the press juice. So I didn't demonstrate the power of the CGM to Sal." But I remember we're having the conversation and walking around after lunch, and he's intrigued. But he tells me, I'll tell you what, man, you figure out how to get Sam on board and I'll invest because I've been trying to invest in Sam Corcos for a long time. And that was really funny to me because I don't know if Sam was already considering, but essentially I went home from that New York trip. And within 24 hours, I had about 20 emails from Sam saying, Hey, those meetings went really well. You need to come back to New York. We need to talk. And I think the impression had been made and the wheels had been set in motion, whether by Sal or by the, the health drink. I don't quite know. Sam will have to <laughs> Sam will have to tell us that.
1: <laughs> so he was helping you. Like it was just, Hey, we're buddies. I'm going to help you out. I like what you're doing. Come down to New York. We'll hang out. I'll help you out. And then there wasn't really any this discussion. Like let's jam on this thing. It was just sort of this informal process. And then yeah. the outcome of it was, hey, the meetings went pretty well. I'm getting more invested in this thing, intrinsically invested in and being a part of it. What does that look like?
0: Yeah, sort of. It was, I think Sam was interested from the first conversation we had on the phone and he was able to vet very effectively, not only the concept, but my grasp of it and the way to execute on it through these sort of informal slash pitches. So he had friends who are used to doing this. It would allow a good forum for him to get more information, even though he wasn't a potential investor in the idea. He wanted to learn more from me in a way that was not friend to friend. I think my opinion is that it was a a very practical move on Sam's part to, to get the real, <laughs> the real technical details on me. And in my approach to the business model that far in. And then when I left, you know, the meetings had gone very well. A few of the guys who were in there were like, yeah, I want to invest right away. Yeah. I would invest in this concept immediately. And so Sam texted me and was just like, it went super well. When can you be back in New York? We need to talk. And he would tell me over the phone, if somebody wanted to invest or just make the intro via email, I could tell that he had obviously personal interest by this point. And then the, over the, so I was, I think it was Memorial day weekend at this point. And so I was down, I was at the beach somewhere Jersey shore, I think. And, you know, I had shared a a ton of material with Sam, you know, during our jam sessions and like for the next 48 hours, Sam was just nonstop action. My inbox is blowing up. Spreadsheets are being created. Documents are being created. Business model concepts are being thrown around new names for the venture because frontier biometric wasn't going to cut it. He was in there and it was like he was doing forward work and we had just had, you know, those meetings with the third parties. And so I was like totally blown away. I was like, this guy's he's doing work. He's in there. I he needs to he needs to get on board. I mean, this is great stuff. I wonder whether he's is this pro bono? Like, what's going on? I didn't really know what to think. So I, I get back up to New York as soon as I can. And, you know, we just go back to that same we work and Sam's am just like, I wanna be a part of this. This is what I wanna do. I wanna be in and I wanna be CEO. And that was, that was the moment. Yeah. I mean, it was just like straight to the point. And we went deep on that conversation, just talking about like the mechanics of this going from a single person venture to a partnership. And we covered everything. It was that one conversation we touched on what each of our personal strengths are and how they can be complementary to taking this idea from something that's being bootstrapped, you know, in a bedroom to something that can be and I don't want to make it about financial outcomes, but be a billion-dollar company. But more importantly, do the concept justice. And Sam had significantly more experience at the early scrappy stage startup level than I had in terms of the business and fundraising fundamentals. I had plenty of startup experience for how things get done and how you got to be scrappy and iterate and all that stuff. But you know, I hadn't gone zero to one with a business model before. And that's why Sam made it very clear. Like I can do this and I will do this, but you know, this is how I want it to be structured. And I, I think we should switch roles in the sense and what I'm all was, in, like I'll drop everything.
1: Was that easy or hard?
0: It was definitely hard. I mean, first of all, I respect the fact that Sam just came straight forward and just said it, you know, it's like, there can be so much hemming and hawing like working your way around the reality of the situation, but Sam's just direct. That's just what he does. And so, you know, him just coming out and saying that was like, whoa, you want to be what? I mean, that's my role. And then it was just kind of a to-the-point discussion about why it makes sense. And I have to say, I didn't leave that conversation completely. It happened so quickly, and I hadn't put really any thought into that being a potential outcome that I left that conversation still unsure what I should do. But after like essentially a single night of dwelling on it, thinking about it, talking to my family about it it became obvious what the right answer was. And the right answer was to increase the likelihood of success by bringing on people who are better than me at the things that we need to do. And, and that's exactly what this was. It was just that. It was an opportunity. It wasn't a detrimental moment for me or the opportunities for the business. It was quite the opposite. And you know, one way Sam framed it, which I think was really clairvoyant, was <laughs> you can be CEO. You know, I'm not going to tell you you can't be, but I just don't think you're going to like it. And that was a really interesting thing because I was like, well, why not? I mean, it's kind of what I've been doing. And he just kind of described the way that there's so much communication overhead and there's, you know, there's just this process of bringing in and retaining networking and network opportunities that the CEO has to do. And certainly, you know, it's certainly different than a hardware CEO in many ways. And it was all core competency for Sam Corcos. It was like, I am doing this. And he kind of walked me through his networking approach and and all of that was extremely eye opening to me. It was so many things that I had been doing zero of throughout my career. And so that's kind of what started to make me realize that, yeah, you know, just because concept development came through me doesn't mean that the sort of the CEO role is the right fit. That may be, in fact, an entirely poor fit for someone like me in the way I operate. And, you know, looking backward on that moment, I'm very grateful that. We just went forward with the partnership as Sam sort of architected there because it freed me up to do the things that I am good at and it freed him up to do the things he's good at. And I think we avoided a lot of potential complication by just having that candid conversation on day one. It was not not day three, not day 30, it was day one. And that was like, it gave me a really good taste for how Sam does business and how he communicates.
1: It's so funny because like, Being honest with oneself is something that it's really hard to do. And when you find like great teams, let's just use sports teams. When you find great teams, yeah, I don't need to wear the C. I don't need the captain's Mm. logo. I don't need to be like the goal scorer. Everyone knows their role, and people are very comfortable saying that person is better at whatever it is, putting the puck in the net from this like certain position on the ice. I'm going to be the person who serves up the passes to that person. If you can be comfortable with that, you're just like, oh, we're actually getting way more points. We're scoring so much more and we're winning games. It's hard when people like, no, I want to score. And other people say, I want to score as well. And then you just get this like ineffective workflow as a team. It's just like so much better when you just sort of stick in the lane and everyone works together to make it happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, just the complimentary way that we were approaching problems from the beginning also stood out to me as just identifying where the areas I would automatically focus were. And many of those were on logistics and on hardware and and acquisition paths to get this technology out there, future roadmap and that type of stuff. And Sam was immediately into the... How can we set up a system such that we can build a world-class team to execute on this? Who in my network can I tap immediately? And he was already starting with the connections and making, you know, the calls he needed to make to set those pieces in place. And I think, yeah, we had like the spectrum of needs covered. Sam wasn't needing to get me to think, hey, you know, who should we reach out to, you know, for a potential early pre-seed raise? And I wasn't having to push Sam to think about roadmap. It was like we just automatically moved into our respective comfort zones and certainly like we push each other looking back i think i've learned a huge amount from sam and i I hope i've been able to teach him a thing or two but overall it was so effortless the way that the responsibility set just kind of like fell into place and we do a lot of collaborative thinking but we have complementary areas of expertise and we can kind of defer to each other on those and and not to mention, like the areas that we don't have experience in, like design and product, we instantly knew this is where we need to bring someone else in. You know, so those conversations, those early conversations with Sam moved so quickly that we had a great understanding of where to look next to continue to fill out the team and and build. And that was like, it very rapidly built my confidence that the right decision had been made and that it had gone in the, in the span of two weeks or maybe three weeks from... Something I was coming to grips with losing to something that felt like it had infinite potential. I mean, it was bizarre how different the headspace was in that <laughs> very short time frame. And it, it really goes to what I believe is the most powerful lesson I've learned, which is something I, I learned previously at SpaceX, but hope not to ever lose again, is just that it all comes down to the team. I mean, one hundred percent of any business success comes down to the team. I truly believe that. I mean, I think the degree of success Is variable depending on what you're working on. But the fact that there is success is dependent on the team.
1: So it's right now it's like the end of May, like Memorial Day just happened. (laughs) Your inbox just got flooded. And when did the first check come in?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we incorporated on, I think, June 24th. And let's see. So
1: actually, let's rewind. Mm -hmm. Sam's throwing names at you right? Like he's doing all these docs. I do want to know like, what is the first memo he wrote? That's probably (laughs) interesting one, but like he's throwing all these names around. When did it go from, like it went from maple biometrics. What did you call it? It was
0: maple biometrics. It called it maple syrup. And And then then it became frontier Frontier. biometric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was in when John Adam and I were, were going after it. My, my former boss at SpaceX. And then. And that's like
1: New York, like in New York when you're pitching still. yep, Yep. The health juice incident, it's still Frontier. Mm-hmm. And then when did it become levels and how did that go down? So,
0: right after Sam and I kind of came to an agreement there in New York, we started considering what needed to be updated right away because we were going to incorporate a new business. We weren't going to like keep working on the Frontier LLC that I had. And we put together a form that we sent out to, I, I think, about 50 people with a bunch of names. And some of the names that I remember off the top of my head were Delve metabolic uh, symmetry health let's see there was another one. frontier was on there and none of them really i think resonated like the one that won was delve delve metabolic and it just didn't feel right it's like yeah people voted for this but they don't actually like it and sam actually just texted me and he was just like what about levels you know we're measuring levels why don't we just do that and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." And you know, it wasn't instantly closed like a done deal there, but once we started like turning it over in our minds after that, it started to fit. Then it just became the working name. Like we didn't say, "Oh yeah, levels is the name." It was just the working name as we started to refer to the project, and it started to like feel more and more natural. And then by the time we had the pieces in place to start incorporating, like it had by default become the name. We didn't question it. So it's it kind of interesting. It's sort of like an osmotic just <laughs> reinforcement.
1: Yeah, and it's like such a strong name too. Like, it's so easy in hindsight to be like, oh, yeah, killer name. But like <laughs> now, I mean, the name resonates with people the way they talk about it, the way they feel about it, the way they reference it, the way we talk about it as a team. It feels like a, this really strong brand. And it has this association with it where you can extrapolate the meaning if you want to. Like, if you want to post rationalize it, it's like levels. Well, when we talk about measuring all these other analytes, like down the road, Levels. It's yep. the levels of those. And so it's just funny how that all comes together. Absolutely. But it's like June now, June 24th, and you've got this, you've incorporated levels, health, Inc. Yep. When did the first check come in? Like, how did that go down? The first check,
0: we had checks committed prior to the incorporation. That incorporation, like, essentially, we were held for funding by the incorporation process. And Looking back at like my text messages between Sam and I in that time, it was like something along the lines of, you know, Moshe and Joe have been talking since you left and they want to invest immediately. You know, it was basically that inertia from those earliest, literally the very first meeting we had with investors carried over and Moshe did invest. And so as did, you know, Mark Gerson, who uh, was also in that office. And so that momentum that we built that first weekend where Sam himself, I think, became Convinced of the potential and personally invested in the idea, carried through and did not slow down. I mean, that month from, say, the third week of May through the third week of June, where we incorporated, was just absolute, like, nonstop action, just getting customer profiles built, getting the name nailed down, having conversations with not just potential investors, but also starting team conversations. You know, we were both reaching deep in our networks to talk to anyone who might be intrigued by the business concept because now we had sort of shifted gears from what I was doing, which was bootstrapping through to concept demonstration and instead deciding like, we're going to raise and we're going to hit this with a bigger hammer. That's kind of, I think the main approach that like I needed team to help me see that, if that makes sense. I had gotten so tunnel visioned in my approach, which was that I have to demonstrate this. I have to have the business fundamentals in place before I go raise that was, for some reason that was just ground truth. And so Sam's so saying, no, 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 like we need to get more resources and then we can solve this problem more effectively. And we can do it without, you know, as fast a timer, you know, a ticking time bomb on our ability to execute as you currently have. And that was in hindsight totally the right move. Like, and so we were able to just shift focus from having a pharmacy or a physician network, like churning out access to CGM and instead focus on building the team and having investor conversations with these early angels which was highly educational. It was telling us what the questions were that we hadn't predicted yet and you know where the soft spots in our plan for execution were. And so that's what that month consisted of was just immediately diving in. You know, we we did a little assemblage. I think it was like 2 days. I'm trying to remember the exact date. It was sometime in June, potentially right before we incorporated or potentially right after where we just met up with everyone in LA that we knew that might be interested. You know, a couple of people like Nick Krasny who have ended up being major supporters for us and have helped us out with, with internal strategy. And, you know, Andrew Connor, he had not yet joined yet, but that's where he and I met was this little assemblage in LA. And so we just turned the crank on getting team and fundraising conversations from even before Sam and I had signed agreements in place between us.
1: And so you raise the first round was like, nothing was institutional. It was just angels, independent angels. And it was 500 was that first round, I think, right?
0: it was a kind of an ongoing round so it was a safe note that we we <laughs> continued <never> ended. <laughs> it didn't not, really it, end <laughs> it,
1: it hasn't ended to this day it's a stacked safe so <laughs> it still keeps going that's right and was Moshe the first check in
0: i don't think so you know what he was one of the first but man i really should know who the first check was i didn't have access to the bank account at the time when it first opened, it took me a little while. So I didn't see the first checks come in. So my memory bank lacks that like milestone, but yeah, definitely got to figure out who the first was. We had a few people who just like (laughs) one person sent a wire before they even got the safe documents to sign. It was like, we refined our pitching capability so quickly. And I think we had about 500,000 in the bank within, certainly within a month of incorporating. So it was like, mid late July, we had about 500 K in the bank and things were continuing to improve. And the assemblage I'm remembering now was, so we incorporated on the 24th of June and the assemblage where we got, you know, a bunch of people into a house for two days to just brainstorm on it on, you know, the concept was June 25th and 26th. And we had actually already gotten uh, David on board as a co-founder by this point. So I think David joined the week prior. So this was like, June 18th timeframe when David, you know, he and I knew each other, but we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And Sam had stayed with them for a weekend and kind of was telling him about the new venture he was joining. And David was like, this is crazy. I was just researching CGM and this is what I want to do. Like I will leave Google immediately. I, I want to join. And we needed product. Like we knew that that was a weak spot on the founding team. And so that conversation just organically fell in place so quickly. And so now we had three co-founders and then going into the assemblage where Andrew Connor and I met David and Andrew met you know that continued the inertia and then by one or two weeks later we had a team of four you know and it was like when you go from one person <laughs> one stressed out person to four three of whom are much more capable in the areas of interest you know software etc it's just like mind-blowing how fast things pick up
1: we're at 157 all-time listens the first episode has 39 listens how's that happening because of forum interesting a bunch of people just to watch forum have like reached out and said they're enjoying the podcast and i was like you guys aren't supposed to find this (laughs) that's funny